The book of Leviticus, chapter 8. I draw your attention to the verses 7 through to 9 tonight. We read here that Moses, having brought Aaron, having washed him with water, we read in verse 7, he put upon him the coat and girded him with the girdle and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod upon him and he girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod and bound it unto him therewith. And he put the breastplate upon him. Also he put in the breastplate the urim and the thummim. And he put the mitre upon his head. Also upon the mitre, even upon his forefront, did he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. We are given the description of the garments of the high priest. As part of the consecration of Aaron, he has to be dressed. He has to be well presented. He has to look the part. And there are these special garments at hand that have been carefully prepared with much skill and some expense, no doubt. And now they're ready to be put upon him. And these special garments are described here in summary for us in the verses that we read. Now nine items of clothing appear to be described in the text. And they are set down in the order in which they are put upon him. Now naked but clean. On the body of his flesh there is put the coat. That's the undercoat in verse 7. That's a long linen garment that goes down to his feet near. And then there is the first girdle. Verse 7, girded him with the girdle. And then there is the priestly robe, which is the robe of the ephod. And upon that, The ephod is going over and attached and is girded as the fourth piece of clothing. Then there is the curious girdle of the ephod attached and belonging to the ephod but yet identified as something separate in itself. Then the sixth piece is the breastplate whereon are found the twelve stones. Then the urim and the thummim put inside a pocket in the breastplate. These mysterious stones are also present. And then there is the mitre. And then last of all, having put the turban on his head, there is the golden plate that is affixed and he's crowned with that glory, holiness unto the Lord. And so here he is, clothed in glorious apparel, like unto the Lord Jesus Christ, who is crowned with glory and honor. And who is the fulfillment of this? And the full description of the glorious clothes can be found in two places. We only have a very brief summary here in three verses. But we have the full description of the clothes, first of all in Exodus chapter 28, 
where about 40 verses are given to describe the garments. And then in Exodus chapter 39, where about 30 verses are used to describe the clothes. And all summarized here, as I said, in these three verses. It took special skill to make them. They're made with men who are filled with special wisdom. And it's not just the clothing and the intricate needlework and all the embroidery. It's also the jewellery and the placing of the, the special gemstones, the preparing of them, the shaping of them, the fitting of them to have permanence in the apparel. And so there's a lot of skill here involved. And the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, gives the gifts to men to be able to do that. And it's quite a feat that these garments were made in the wilderness at that particular time. Now, the, the garments have a name when you study the scriptures. You find that they have a name, and you find also that their purpose is described for us. We read that in Exodus chapter 8, they're called holy garments. Thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron. We're also told what they are for, for glory and for beauty, for display, to make him look spectacular, to make him look beautiful and gorgeous, to make him stand out as the altogether lovely one, the altogether glorious one in the camp, our high priest. And so here they are for glory and beauty. And they show what Christ the high priest will be and is. Now Aaron has no inherent holiness. And so they have to give him holy garments. He doesn't have any natural glory. So they have to give him glorious garments. He doesn't have any beauty in himself. And so they have to dress him up to look beautiful. It's all about appearances. He doesn't possess these things in himself. That's why he has to be stripped and washed and then dressed up. He has to come into God's presence. He has to represent the people of God who believe in the Lord. He has to mediate on their behalf between sinners and between God. And therefore he has to be holy, he has to be beautiful, he has to be glorious to God. There has to be something about him that is special to God. And he doesn't have that in himself, but in the type and topology he has to have the appearance of it. And so he's dressed up to look the part. He is not carrying out the part and the reality. He's only picturing it. There's a one who is to come, who is the sum and substance of it, who is the fulfillment of it. And so he has to be a holy, a beautiful and a glorious appearance to God. But he isn't that he's dressed up to look that for the occasion. None of us as sinners are naturally holy, glorious or beautiful. Aaron's not the only one who's not holy and not glorious and not beautiful. We are all as an unclean thing, the Bible says. We're all ugly sinners. There's nothing glorious about us. 
We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have carried us away. There's nothing glorious about us. I was shaping in iniquity. We were conceived in sin. There's no beauty in us. There's only sin and corruption, and depravity and defilement, and uncleanness. And we also need garments. We also need the washing and the covering. We need the spiritual clothing. Aaron needed it to be the high priest. And we need it as well to be priests unto God. To come into the presence of God. All sinners need clothed. The spiritual clothing No sinner can go to God without the spiritual clothing. The garments of salvation. We also need a holy robe of righteousness. We also need the glory and the beauty of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the covering of his dress. There must be the taking away of the stain of sin. And there must be the clothing of us with the garments, the beautiful and glorious garments of the righteousness of Christ. Midst flaming worlds in these, we must be arrayed in that great day. And so our undress like this tells us this. These garments in actual fact show that Aaron was a sinner. That's what they show. And he must be dressed up in the garments of grace and salvation. Remember in the vision in Zechariah, there's this voice that says, take away the filthy garments from the high priest. Take away the filthy garments. And God says, I have caused thee thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And that's what God does to the sinner. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, the Psalms say. And thy saints, let them shout for joy. And so we have to be clothed. The prophet Isaiah said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels, the prophet says, The Lord has clothed me to make me appear beautiful and glorious in his sight. He can only do that in his grace. And he can only do that in his Son, Jesus Christ. And those garments are provided for us by Christ. So so these garments picture Christ. His his righteousness. All that he is. As many as you have been baptized into Christ, the Bible says. You've put on Christ. You're clothed with him. You're dressed with his garments. And so as a sinner tonight, unconverted, you need clothed. Just as Aaron need clothed. And you need clothed with the garments of salvation. Christ and his righteousness are that clothing. 
And so he who believes in Christ receives the garments of salvation and can come into the presence of God. But you know, in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, there were no such garments put on him. He is our great high priest, but he didn't have to be dressed. There didn't have to be any garments made for him especially to wear. He's the one high priest who didn't have to put on these clothes. He didn't need dress like this. Why? Because he had the reality. He had what they pictured. He is what they picture. Our Lord Jesus Christ was clothed with humanity. And that humanity was holy and harmless and undefiled and glorious and beautiful. He was the reality. He didn't have to be stripped and dressed up. No, he is glorious in his apparel, in his humanity. He himself is holiness and beauty unto the Lord. He didn't just dress then. He didn't have just to look the part. He had the reality. He's a walking righteousness. He's walking glory. He's walking beauty as God the Father looks down upon him. This is what he sees. A a glorious Christ. A holy Christ. A beautiful Redeemer. This is what the Father sees. A holy, sinless life. A spotless righteousness. And whenever our high priest came and died, and whenever he entered into eternal glory, he didn't have to dress up like this. He didn't have to dress up at all. You know all he had to do? All he had to do was appear. That's all he had to do. Just appear as he was in the presence of God. Because he is glorious in his righteousness. He just appears. The man of Calvary just appears in the presence of God. He just has to show his hands and his feet. He entered in by his own blood because he is this dress in all its reality. And such a high priest became us Not just one dressed up, but one who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and higher than the heavens. He has to be that glorious. That's the high priest that becomes us. And so you know tonight we're just dealing with pictures and shadows. Christ is the reality. So we never read of any clothing going on him in regard to priestly dress. He didn't need the topology. He's the fulfillment. God sees him as beautiful. And thus he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came that voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, In whom I am so well pleased. He's beautiful to me. He's glorious to me. He's holiness, 
unto me. I don't have to put a crown of gold upon his head with the words written on it. No, he, he is that in himself. Holiness unto God. Indeed, he was dressed up in his humiliation. We know that. He was dressed up by the Romans and there was a mocking crown placed upon his head. A crown of thorns instead of jewels. He bore thorns on that crown of mocking. He is dressed up by men in shame and in decency and in scorning. He receives the clothes of humiliation, but he does not need the clothes of exaltation. He has that in himself. And so he's made ugly in his sufferings, who is the altogether lovely one, made ugly by the wicked hands of men. But even when he is made ugly and has the appearance of ugliness and is made a curse for sin and is battered and bruised and bleeding, even then when the Father looks upon him, he still sees a holy, glorious and a beautiful Son. And perhaps in that garb of humiliation and shame, perhaps if it's possible to speak in terms like this, he appeared even more glorious to his Father. Who is this? Who is this that comes from Eden with dyed garments from Buzra, glorious in his apparel, coming with those stained clothes, coming with those clothes of uh, blood, glorious. It's Christ. And so the Lord Jesus is that, the Bible says that in that day the branch of the Lord shall be glorious and beautiful. Here he is. Christ is pictured. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. We beheld his beauty. Full of grace and truth. And so you see Christ is a reality of this, isn't it? He, he is this, these clothes. And he has made unto us the garments of salvation. For Christ has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He's all of this to us. So we can be assured tonight, men and women, that our high priest, Jesus Christ, is sufficient for us. He doesn't have to be dressed up like some sinner and pretend a part, and play a part, and be involved in just the shadow work. No, our Lord Jesus is the great reality, the true high priest, the one in whom we can trust, the one in whom we believe, the one who truly, through his glorious righteousness, through his glorious beauty, brings us into the presence of God, the one who we are assured will give us reconciliation to God. The one with whom God is well pleased and who is able to be in the marvels of his grace an advocate for us to present us also glorious and beautiful in the sight of his Father. This Christ is the one we trust, pictured here by Aaron thus clothed. Apart from the stones and the jewels, there are five 
ingredients to the garments of the high priest. Fine linen, gold, blue, purple and scarlet. Some items of the clothing have all five of those, those ingredients. And some lesser. But all of them, some of them at least. And these colors are, are various in the embroidery. So that when it's all finished, it looks quite spectacular. The ephod is described as having all five. Exodus 28 verse 6, we read, They made the ephod of gold, of blue, of purple, of scarlet, and fine twined linen with cunning work. So it's all interweaved and it's all checkered and a lot of embroidery taking place, a lot, a lot of work. And it's, it's beautiful, it's, it's finely detailed. Looking at it from the distance and going up close with the microscope, even the microscopic, if you go in there, it's intricate, it's excellent. That's Christ's righteousness. You can look at it from the distance. But you can also go into the minute detail. Go in with the microscope. Into every part of his life. Every, into every place where he ever walked. You can put him under the microscope. And still you see the intricacy. And the glory. And the beauty. Of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The linen. Is white. Clean and white. The first item that goes on is olive linen. That's the item that goes to the very flesh, the skin, from the neck right down to the ankles. This linen coat. It's embroidered linen in the high priest. It's not embroidered for the ordinary priests. They just have linen garments. But his is embroidered linen. In fact, it's, it's called the, the embroidered coat. It was unique. It was his coat. It's checkered and glorious. A curious work. Embroidered in fine detail. Linen speaks of righteousness. We know that from the Bible. The book of the Revelation. The lamb's bride, the wife. She's made herself ready. And to her is granted that she be arrayed in fine linen. Clean and white. This is what the high priest has. Fine linen. Embroidered linen. Carefully wrought upon linen. Fine and white. And the linen is the righteousness of saints. And so this priest is around his flesh has the sign of righteousness. Clinging to his body. And Christ's righteousness is unique, unparalleled. The high priest's coat is unique and unparalleled. The high priest's coat, his righteousness, is an everlasting righteousness, is a glorious righteousness. Nothing like the righteousness of Christ. Nothing of sin clings to him. And it's not just a righteousness to satisfy the law. But it is so fine linen that it is a righteousness that magnifies the law and makes it honorable and puts it in its proper place. It's a righteousness 
that not only magnifying the law and uh, honoring it, but also satisfying the curse of the broken law and so quieting it in that regard. It's such a glorious righteousness. This is first. This is the, the, the bread and butter and the everyday life of Jesus Christ. Right down to his flesh of his humanity every day. Sinless righteousness. Who did no sin. Who had no appearance of sin. No guile was found in him. Oh, such a glorious righteousness. A justifying righteousness. A righteousness which he wrought, which has such sufficiency and effectualness that it covers sinners who will come under his wing. It's altogether unique. The high priest only has it. The gold. Yes, the garments are filled with gold. Laced through many of the pieces of apparel that cover him. And at last crowns his head in that golden plate. He is covered with gold. And gold speaks of preciousness and value and richness. But not just richness An unchanging richness. A value that never decreases. A value that never wanes. The riches that never get any less. Because gold does not tarnish and gold does not corrupt and gold does not lose its value. And Christ as our high priest and his righteousness has a perpetual value, an unchanging value, as valuable as the day he wrought it at Calvary and in his humanity and his life upon earth, as gold, unchangeable and eternal. Christ is the eternal one. And that person has brought in not an ordinary righteousness, not a perishing righteousness, not a decaying righteousness, but an eternal righteousness, an everlasting righteousness, which the Bible calls it, An incorruptible righteousness. And so his riches are incorruptible riches. And his righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. And his glorious and unchangeable priesthood is depicted in the gold. This man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable, an uncorruptible a perpetually continuing priesthood. He's marked with the gold. Because of the gold, he is always ever able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth. He's marked with the eternity of the gold. He ever liveth to make intercession for them. And such a high priest became us. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, always the same. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He is the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the one who was dead, but now 
is alive forevermore and has the keys of death and of hell because he is marked with the gold of eternity, eternal value, eternal worth, eternal preciousness, eternal richness. And so the gold speaks of his everlasting glory, his exaltation in heaven, in eternity, seen especially in the last item that goes upon his head, the crown of gold. What does the Bible say concerning Christ? That the Father has set a crown of pure gold upon him. And whenever we are in, we're in the book of the Revelation in chapter 14, and as we continue on down it, we will see him sitting on a cloud. And what's he wearing? He's wearing a crown of gold. This is our Christ. And then there's the blue. Everyone knows what the blue depicts. In that burning heat of the wilderness, there is the blueness of the sky. And there is always the blueness in the garments of the great high priest. And the blueness throughout the sanctuary itself, especially in the holy sanctuary, that reminds us of the heavens and the heavenly. And that which is above us, the blueness of the heavens. We're reminded that he is from above. That he's not merely earthy, but he's from a higher place. The first man is of earth, earthy, but the second man is the Lord of heaven. As we have borne the image of the earthly, the dust and all of that, all of the ground, as we've borne the image of that, so we must also bear the image of the heavenly. We must bear the blue as well as, as the redness of the dust of the ground. And so we are to become heavenly beings and to soar into the heavens and to join our Lord there because he came from the heavens for us. And the perpetual presence of the blue will not let us forget this. I am from above, he said. I came down from heaven. The bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth light unto the world. He is the heavenly high priest, the heavenly man, the one who came from glory to ascend to glory in his humanity as thus appearing glorious to represent us in the very midst of heaven before God our Father. But there are also other shades, purple and scarlet. The darker shades, the more bloody colors, the colors of bruising and bleeding, the colors of suffering and pain, the colors of one who is battered and tortured and crucified. The colors of his humiliation, the scarlet and the purple. And our priest is glorious in person, he's glorious in graces, 
His glorious and heavenly graces, all of that is seen in the white linen and in the gold and in the blue. But to the Father, He is also glorious in His sufferings. He is glorious to the Father in His humiliation. He is glorious to the Father even when He is on the cross. He's glorious in His death. He's glorious in His bloodshedding. He's glorious in the stains of blood that sprinkle His clothes. His garments are steeped in suffering, dipped in blood. He is glorious and beautiful in His cross as well as in his crown. In fact, the Lord Jesus called the cross his glory, the hour of glory. You remember the scarlet robe and the thorny crown, the bloody crown of thorns. There he is suffering for our sins. It's all part of the righteousness that is necessary. It's all part of making these garments the garments of salvation to us. It's all necessary so that he will be that man who can truly go into the Father's presence on our behalf. The scarlet and the purple are as necessary as the blue and the gold. It is necessary that he be made a curse for us. It is necessary that his righteousness must satisfy every aspect of the law of God, even that part of it which has been broken. And so the blood is necessary for the forgiveness of sins and the atonement of the cross. The jewels which deck the garments are not mentioned in the text. These appear on the shoulders and on the breastplate. They are not mentioned in the text. Their presence is assumed because in the day of consecration they must have been there. They must have looked glorious in in the light, in the sun. They must have sparkled. They must have radiated. They must have shone. And they must have greatly augmented the beauty and the glory of the garments, the jewels the precious jewels that he has upon his dress. And what are those jewels? They are his people that he bears and carries and lived and died for. They are his people for which he came to the earth for and which he does not go to heaven without. He is the high priest for others. And so the jewels are found upon his shoulders. In verse 7, that ephod that is put upon him, it's put upon him, it comes over the shoulders. On the shoulders there are stones, one on each shoulder. And then the breastplate in verse 8, they put the breastplate upon him, That breastplate had the twelve stones, the the three rows of the four stones uh, representing the the names of the tribe, the tribes of Israel. And they're also written engraved on the shoulders. 
The two onyx stones, graven on them are the names of the children of Israel. Six of their names on one stone, the other six of the rest on the other stone, according to their birth. The work of an engraver in stone like the engravings of a signet. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod. For stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his shoulders. And that's where our high priest has us. On his shoulders. He's carrying us. Even as he bears our sins, he's carrying us. Even as he dies on the cross, he's carrying his people. When he goes into heaven, he carries them. He is burdened with them. He is burying them. The Aaron priest here just has the type and topology. It is hoped that he would remember the people and pray for them and have some heart for them. But he's just a man. But the heavenly man, Jesus Christ, he can bear them. He can carry them on his shoulders. Remember the shepherd who went after the sheep that was lost? What did he do? He, he found it and he lay it on his shoulders. And he carried it home. He bore it home rejoicing. And that's our great high priest. The shoulders are the part that take the weight. The shoulders are the part that carry the burden. The shoulders are the part that have the strength. And Christ has strength and power. He's not only a glorious high priest, he's a mighty powerful high priest. And he's the priest that can carry his people. And he carries his people and he bears them. The Lord Jesus can carry you. The Lord Jesus sustains you when you cannot sustain yourself. That's why we read Isaiah 46, wasn't it? You're carried by me from the womb. You're born by me from the belly. Even to your old age, it's me, the carrier of his people. And here's the Lord Jesus. That's what he does. He carries his people on his shoulders. Even better than that. The breastplate on the heart. Very personal. There's only the two on the shoulder. He carries them all on his shoulder, but it begins to become more personal as it gets near to his heart. Breaks down into the twelve stones. Near to his heart. Near to his grace. He loves his people. And he goes into the Father's presence. The Father sees his glorious Son. What does he see? He sees his glorious Son carrying his people. He sees his glorious Son just having the names of his people and bearing his people on his breast and on his heart. And the Father knows what's on his heart. You know, we're not to suppose that the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven is, is making verbal utterances and you know, praying particular things for his people. I don't think we have to reduce it to that. He just has to appear. He just has to show his heart. He just has to expose his breastplate. That's all. And every child of God on his heart is seen by the Father. Every need, every burden, every tear, every weight, everything that 
the people of God bring to their Savior. Every tear they cry, every contrition for sin, every repentance, all their brokenness, all their sadness, all their sorrows, all their cares, as they bring them to their Savior, he appears before the Father. The intercession of Christ is a great mystery, but we must not reduce it to just a mere carnal asking a few things. He's interceding for all our needs. As the Son of God before the Father, as God with God, seeing all the needs of the people of God. That's why Mary's no good as an interceder. What is she going to ask? A few things? She wouldn't even be able to get them all out in the space of hours. But in a second, Christ just exposes his heart. And all the needs of the people of God are seen in heaven. That's the kind of interceder we need. That's why you can't trust in Mary. That's why it's such foolishness. Mary, intercede for us sinners. Pray for us sinners. What foolishness. What folly. There's only one has the breastplate. That's Jesus. And so his people are near to his heart. And and with these garments, the high priest is now equipped. He's now ready. He's now ready to go into the presence of God. He's now ready to represent the people. He's now ready to get involved in the work. He's ready now because he's dressed. And we will see what, what he does in that dress on another occasion. But let's leave it there for tonight. Let us pray.